Is it possible that insurance coverage has no effect on our health and mortality? Mark Twain might have said, hearing this, this is an example of lies, damn lies, and statistics. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. And with me today is Dr. Katherine Baker, Dean of the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago, and has served as Chairman of the Department of Health Policy and Management at Harvard's Chan School of Public Health. Thank you very much, Doctor, for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Much of our discussion today will be prompted by your very thought-provoking article recently in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled, Health Insurance Coverage and Health, What Recent Evidence Tells Us, which you co-authored with Dr. Benjamin Somers and Dr. Ottawa Gawande. To begin with, has health insurance really made a difference in our health? Absolutely, but it makes a more nuanced difference than popular discourse might suggest. There is a lot of evidence on the effects of insurance on health outcomes, but one of my favorite pieces is, of course, my own study, joined with Amy Fingelstein, where we had an opportunity to evaluate the effects of Medicaid using a randomized controlled trial design, just like you would for a new drug. The state of Oregon had a waiting list for its Medicaid program. People were selected from the waiting list by lottery as a way to allocate a limited number of slots in the program. And we used that as an opportunity to compare the people who got access to Medicaid, the treatment group, to the people whose names weren't drawn from the lottery, the control group. And we found a, a really nuanced picture of the ways that Medicaid affects healthcare use, financial security, and health outcomes. Well, what were some of the evidences from this paper? And I, I take it these were people who were under 65. Yes, this particular study was for people who weren't otherwise eligible for any public insurance program. They were under 65, so they weren't eligible for Medicare. They were over age 18, so they weren't eligible for CHIP or Medicaid by dint of being a child. And we found that having health insurance substantially increased healthcare use, which is not all that surprising. People with Medicaid went to the doctor more, they used more prescription drugs, they went to the hospital more. That might have been a little surprising to people. But what I think was really surprising in terms of healthcare use was that people went to the emergency department much more when they had Medicaid than when they were uninsured. I think ahead of time, people had hoped that having insurance would get people out of the emergency department, but in fact, they used it much more. Then the question is, what did all that healthcare do for people's health? How did their health outcomes change? We found a dramatic improvement in rates of depression. When people got Medicaid, the people who screened positive for depression dropped by about 30% in our treatment sample relative to our control group. So Medicaid dramatically reduced the rates of depression. People reported that their health was much better. They were much more likely to report their health was excellent, very good, or good instead of fair or poor. So people felt like they were getting better health outcomes, but we did not detect any improvements in blood pressure, cholesterol, HbA1c, obesity. So the physical health measures that we were able to capture didn't show any appreciable change. 
when people got access to Medicaid versus being uninsured. And that that's a mixed bag. It's a nuanced story. Since in your study, there seemed to be a real recognition of depression, I would also assume that the treatment for depression went up in your group significantly. People were much more likely to have their depression diagnosed, and then they were much more likely to get a prescription for that depression or to be taking a prescription targeting mental health. And of course, getting diagnosed is the first step along that process. And that was one of the reasons that we collected in-person data from people. We wanted to be sure that we could capture both diagnosed and undiagnosed depression or diagnosed and undiagnosed high blood pressure. When you put all of that together, it seems clear to me that people who are on Medicaid are much better off than if they were uninsured. They report that they have access to needed care, that the care they get is of higher quality. They have substantially reduced rates of depression and report that their health is better. They also have better financial security, and that is often underappreciated, that having insurance is not just supposed to get you access to health care. It's also supposed to keep you from suffering financial hardship, from getting evicted from your apartment because you paid your hospital bill instead of your rent. So those people who got insurance were much better off in many ways, but it was not sufficient to get things like blood pressure high cholesterol, diabetes under control. And and that is disappointing to many advocates of insurance expansion, but perhaps not all that surprising that a typical Medicaid program as delivered during that study period, which is around 2010, was not in and of itself sufficient to address these chronic physical health problems. And the challenge in that is that then Policymakers have to figure out how to weigh those benefits to people against the real costs of the program. Taxpayers have to pay more money to insure these populations because they're using substantially more health care. And that means the program has both winners and losers. The winners are the people who are enrolled in the program, and then the losers are the people who have to pay for it. And policymakers need, need to decide what their public policy priorities are. That's interesting that you say that because polls show that the federal government should bear responsibility to ensure health care for all Americans. And yet there's a real tension between providing this kind of care and dollars spent, say, for transportation or for environmental control or work safety. How does policymakers come to conflict with this? In, in some articles, it shows that l- more lives are saved with better health care than, say, environmental protection. How do you respond to this, in our, especially in our current environment? Almost all public policy decisions involve difficult trade-offs. And I'm at an institution, you know, the, the University of Chicago and the Harris School, like many others, you know, but, but especially here, espouses really clear, rigorous analytical thinking and evidence being brought to bear in making those difficult trade-offs. There are very few policies where there are no losers and everybody is better off. And of course we should do those, but there are almost always trade-offs. If you can save lives by investing in healthcare, at what cost? What else could you do with that money? You could invest in education for kids who aren't getting high-quality education that will enable them to thrive throughout their lives. You could invest in transportation infrastructure. You could lower taxes. You could do a lot of different things, and each of those has costs and benefits, 
and policymakers, I wish, would take the full body of evidence into those decisions to say, how big are the benefits of this? To whom? How much does it cost? What else could I do with those resources? And as an economist and as an academic researcher, I can't tell policymakers which should be more important to them, kids' education or elderly citizens' health or infrastructure in rural areas. Those are all good things. There's a long, long list of good things, and, and it's, it's tough to make those trade-offs, and that's why, our elect, that's why we elect people and why we have a say in what their priorities ought to be. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Katherine Baker, who's Dean of the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago, and our questions and discussions have been focusing on health insurance coverage and health, what the recent evidence tells us. You mentioned earlier that if I have insurance, my perception of my health will be better. And that statistically, actually, mortality in this group who perceives their health being better actually will have better health. Could you explain that to me? When people are asked to describe their health, they're able to capture all sorts of different aspects of their health that are hard for an outside researcher to measure. So you can measure people's blood pressure and you can measure their cholesterol and their blood sugar control, and those are really important markers of their physical health, but they clearly capture only a slice of what's going on. If you ask people, how is your health, they are telling you about a whole range of things. Some of them, policymakers may care about more than others, so, so it's up to the policymakers to decide how much of a priority to place on those improvements. But we know that people's self-reported health correlates with lots of downstream health outcomes like mortality. For example, people who report that their health is poor are much more likely to die within the next year than people who do not. So I think that we are capturing really important information when we ask people about their health. We're just not sure exactly which aspects they're reporting on, and that can be a challenge depending on whether the goal of the policy is to lower mortality rates from cardiovascular disease or improve depression or make people feel better more generally. <laughs> Those different policy goals may suggest different policies. Somewhat related, employment's very good in the United States, but there was a certainly a time in the very recent past that you would lose your job, and with it, you also lost your insurance. This is in the past. In that group of people, did their health actually deteriorate? In other words, you have a group that you can study, get fired, lose their insurance, what happens to their health? Or conversely, boy, I'm finally 65 and I can get Medicare. I've been uninsured up till now. Do those people, does their health improve? So this is a great question and it highlights the difficulty in figuring out what insurance itself actually does. There are all sorts of things that are different for insured people versus uninsured people. So let's take the most naive statistical approach at the beginning and, and think about what's wrong with that. If we compare the mortality rates of people who are uninsured to people who are on Medicaid, 
people who are on Medicaid have higher mortality rates. And so it's tempting to say, oh, my goodness, Medicaid is killing people. What a terrible program. But, of course, that's not a valid conclusion because you get on Medicaid by being poor or by having a disabling health condition or by having persistently high health expenditures. All of those things independently forecast bad health outcomes. Being poor is very hard on your health. And so it's misleading to just look at the mortality rates of people who are on Medicaid versus the uninsured without being able to strip out those confounding factors. So take the example of someone who has insurance through his or her job, loses the job, loses the insurance, and his or her health gets worse. Well, lots of things changed at the same time. Income went down, stress went up, maybe the family had to move, all sorts of things are going on. And if that person's health declines, it could be because of the insurance, but it could be because of any of those other things. So we have to be really careful in identifying the effect of insurance itself versus all of the other things that are going on in people's lives at the same time, which is why it was so exciting for us in Oregon to have a real control group where we didn't have to worry about that. There are other strategies beyond uh, that particular study, and it takes a lot of different studies to answer as complicated a question as what does health insurance do to your health. So some studies do take advantage of things like the fact that you're eligible for Medicare at the day you turn 65, but not beforehand. And so maybe you can look at that change. You don't expect your health to suddenly change at age 65, but your insurance does. So that's an opportunity for some people. So that's the opportunity to see what insurance does. People also retire at age 65, so that may have changed too, but, but it's still a good strategy for trying to figure out the effects of insurance, and there have been a lot of studies suggesting that when people go from being uninsured at age 64 to insured at age 65, they are more likely to get their cancers diagnosed early. They use more health care, but they have better health outcomes. So there is a, a range of approaches that all suggest that insurance is a vital component of achieving better health outcomes. Another way to look at the same thing, there are certain states that have expanded their Medicaid program right next to other states that have refused to. Can we compare those states that have similar populations and make some kind of, again, some type of opinion about what insurance does? That is another great strategy that we use to try to figure out the effects of insurance. You can compare, just as you say, states that expanded to those that didn't and look before and after the expansions. So you have the change over time for states that chose to expand compared to the change over time for states that didn't. And that lets you net out a lot of potentially confounding factors. And from studies like that, particularly for children where there have been a lot of differences between states and eligibility, again, we see increases in healthcare use and improved health outcomes when people have insurance. The caveat with that is that you have to ask why one state expanded and the other didn't. Perhaps the state that expanded was facing a health crisis and expanded and its population started out at baseline sicker and that was the reason they chose to expand. Or Conversely, perhaps the state that chose to expand, things were going well economically, and they were at the same time expanding housing vouchers and investment in education and 
other things that also improved people's health. There's still some question marks, but each of these strategies that we've been discussing, these quasi-experimental approaches, gives an important piece of the puzzle with some caveats, some limitations, but a lot of new insights. And when you put all of the pieces together, which is what Ben Summers, Atul Gawande, and I did in the piece that you mentioned, our conclusion from reading all of that evidence put together is that health insurance substantially improved people's health. It comes at a cost because people use more health care, so we have to figure out how to pay for it. But there's just no question that people are better off being insured than being uninsured. I think that is a, a, a wonderful summary of our discussion today. And again, I really want to appreciate you spending the time. Most of our audience are physicians, and we don't have this opportunity to talk to economists. And as you probably know, since you're involved in the medical school, that Physicians are not exposed to the economic factors that are involved in healthcare. Only after we get into practice do we find out the real realities of trying to provide care and especially providing care to patients who have no insurance. Again, thank you very much, Dr. Baker, for joining me. Thank you for the opportunity. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard, and if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash Roundtable to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.